Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? I was going to come up here and just share an update, and I wanted to do that because our attention has been focused on the nation of Ukraine. And it's so easy to think that's far off, and that's not us, and it needs to be humanized for us. For those who are visiting with us, I'm Pastor Mike Sigmund, and I want to welcome you here. And as Grace Community Church, we have a mission partner in Ukraine, and that mission partner is home right now. Last week, at the end of the week, Pastor Addison, our digital ministries pastor, did an interview, and that interview was released confidentially to our church-wide email. It will not be released on social media. If you are on the church-wide email, you'll be able to receive that. If you haven't uh, signed up for church-wide, sign up on your way out today, and we'll make sure you get that. It's a very interesting interview that reminds us that there's a church in Ukraine and there are millions of people in Ukraine that need our prayers. We received an email last night that numerous families from the church that we're connected with are trying to evacuate today and have great concerns about how far they'll get. We also have in our congregation a woman from the Ukraine and I spent time praying with her this week because her brother and sister are still there. And that helps you understand how close to home this can be. And we also learned last night that our Romanian mission partners are taking refugees in from the Ukraine. And they would be our mission partners that uh, work with us in the orphanage ministry in Romania. And Sherry Steger, one of our members, is very active in that ministry. Pray. Pray that evil will be completely demolished and that righteousness will reign, that God will protect all people and God will protect and use the church as a witness in Ukraine. I'm very careful about what I'm saying here because we don't want to put anybody in jeopardy. So you have enough to know how to pray and the Lord knows the names and knows exactly what needs to be done. Pastor Kevin Lance, our youth pastor, is going to come and lead us in prayer and pray for a number of needs globally, beginning with the need in Ukraine. I wanna thank you for the heart that you have as Grace Community Church for this world in which we live. It is not all about Willow Street. It is not all about Pennsylvania. It is not all about America. It is about the world that God loves, amen? That's, that's the heart we have. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning our hearts are heavy for the world around us. 
there is more pain and suffering than we see and than we know. God, you know every need. You know every hurt. Down to the smallest thing, Lord, you know. Lord, this morning our hearts are heavy for Ukraine especially. So we just come before you, praying for peace, for an end to this war, this needless conflict. We pray for the people in Ukraine who are fighting for their homeland. We pray for strength and for courage for them in their defense and in, uh, and in their actions. Lord, we pray for bravery and, and, Lord, that you would work through them in that sacrificial love that you have shown us in your gospel. Lord, as we see that play out in this nation, Lord, we we just pray for, for our brothers and sisters who are there right now, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are probably struggling and, and questioning and wondering. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen their faith, give them courage for this difficulty and endurance through this trial. We pray for safety and protection for those who are for those who are innocent, those who are sleeping in subway tunnels and, and cowering in apartment buildings. And Lord, we pray for them that you would protect them. We pray especially too for the nations around who have the capability to to intervene to help. I pray that the measures that have been taken will be effective, and I pray that you would give our leaders wisdom for measures that continue, that need to be taken going forward. Lord, we pray specifically for uh, Melissa and Bogdan Gitan as they help refugees across the border. Lord, we pray for safety for them. We pray for endurance, for strength, and the courage in, in, in the face of danger. I pray for success for them that they would rescue those who need to be rescued, that you would bring those who you want to see leave the country and to flee. Lord, that you would just bring them to them and that they would be able to rescue them. Lord, this conflict is far beyond what we can know and see, but Lord, you know every detail. You know what needs to be done. You know where evil needs to be stopped. So, Lord, we pray for your hand to come in a mighty way. And, Lord, we also pray for Kim Pulliam as she is working locally with uh, Afghan refugees as uh, resettling in Lancaster. Lord, it was not that long ago that that conflict happened and, and Lord, there are still people hurting. There are still people wrestling with that. And as she works to help them resettle in this area, Lord, we pray for, uh, for men and women from our church community to, to hear the call to help and to hear the call to be a, a friend and a supporter and a helper to that ministry that we might support these people coming into our community to show them the love of Christ right here in our own backyard. 
And Lord, finally, we just we pray for this, this service this morning. We pray that as Pastor Paul comes and preaches, Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would give us understanding and receptiveness to your word. In this, this series of hard sayings with the unfiltered Jesus, we know that you are moving. We know that you are speaking to us and helping us to see the ways in which we need to change, to hear these hard sayings and, and, and take them to heart and to apply them to our lives. And so I pray for that this morning, that you would challenge us, mold us and shape us to be more like you. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading from this morning comes from Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. Jesus says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Mike told me this might be my last Sunday, <laughs> so I should, should get my bags packed. Did Didn't you say that? I did not say that. Yeah. For, the, for those of you that are online, he just acknowledged it in front of us all, so I, I know you couldn't hear him, but I could, so. If you keep it up, it might be. Oh, my. We have a lot of fun. And uh, I do want to say this. We love you very much as a church. Um, you have no idea um, how excited we are to see what God is doing in your midst, to hear the reports of what Jesus is doing in your hearts. It warms us as pastors. And I know I say that for all of our pastors. We do love you. And we love this congregation. We love the word of God. And we do ask that you would continue to be faithful to Jesus and to run after him with all you have. We are just mere men, uh, and we want to worship Jesus Christ. So over the past few weeks, we as a church have been working through a series we're calling Unfiltered Jesus. This series takes us through the hard sayings of Jesus. Now look, we don't say that because it sounds good. We say that because many people uh, have stopped following Jesus Christ because of some of these sayings. They don't understand them. They, they're, they're not easily understood. We will say that. We'll agree with you. They're hard to unpack at times. And so people have just kind of thrown their hands up and said, you know what? We don't understand. We're done. And to be completely honest with you, the last, last weekend and this weekend, the two things that Jesus said are very, very hard to understand. And so we felt the need to bring this church through some of these hard sayings. And one of those is found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. I want to read it for you again. 
so you can kind of capture the tension here. Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Should I be standing up here today holding the gospel in one hand and a sword in the other? Did he really mean that he didn't come to bring peace? Did he really mean that he came to bring a sword, a literal sword? Were the crusaders correct? Were they? This is a hard saying. And this weekend, we want to unpack and try to explain what Jesus meant here. And I know and I hope that God will work into your hearts and minds. That as we look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39, that listen, you will discover that Jesus gives his followers a warning by using a well-known weapon of warfare, the sword. And as we will see, his point is if we follow him, we may face opposition. And the strongest opposition we may face is actually from our own families. Our families may be disappointed that we have decided to follow Jesus. They may unfollow us, reject us, block us out of their lives. And so the question today that we will try to answer is how, how in the world should we live when our families don't want anything to do with us because now we follow Jesus? I mean, what do we do when our moms and dads, our brothers and sisters, our aunts and uncles, our cousins, our grandparents are so upset with us because we have decided to lay down our dreams and our desires and our ambitions and pick up Jesus' dreams, desires, and ambitions for our lives? How should we live? What should we do? This all began, by the way, because of Pastor Mike. Now, I don't want to publicly blame him, but I will. Last week, he shared a wonderful sermon that was just really, if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to, to go back and listen to it. And in his sermon last week, he shared a very personal story about a, an event that happened between himself and his grandfather. You see, Pastor Mike said last week that he was a student at Franklin and Marshall, and while he was there, the Holy Spirit worked in him and called him to full-time ministry. He got so excited, he went to share that news with his family and then his grandparents, and as he sat with his grandparents, his grandmother was excited, his grandfather was in, was in distress, was distraught. Mike said, shared last week that he left that conversation feeling so down. He went back to them the very next morning, and through the night, the Holy Spirit had worked in his grandfather's heart, and his grandfather actually repented of his selfishness and changed his mind and embraced this calling that God had placed on Mike's life. Now, last week, as I heard that, I had two thoughts that came through my mind. The first thought was I was so thankful that Pastor Mike decided to go into full-time ministry because we have all been blessed by him being our lead pastor. Amen? Amen. Amen. I was thinking, man, I don't know if we would have made it through COVID if it wasn't for Mike's leadership, so I was so thankful for that. But then secondly, I thought, but what if our families don't change their mind? I mean, what if they don't have that moment where they repent of their selfishness and they fully embrace God's calling in our lives? What if they stay angry with us for weeks and days and, and months and years to come? 
What if family reunions and weekly gatherings make it, make it really hard to keep following Jesus? How should we live? What should we do when our families no longer accept us because of who we follow? In order to answer that question, I think it's best we first explain Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. I want to remind you again what verse 34 is. Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now it's interesting, when you look at this verse, you see that there are two major phrases that drive this verse. The first is this. Do not suppose that I have I have not come to bring peace to the earth. Jesus says that this, this peace to the earth, he didn't bring it. And honestly, given the current situation in Europe, you would read that verse and you would say, man, Jesus was right. We don't have peace. We don't have peace in the earth. But wasn't it just a few months ago when we were all kind of gathering together and we opened up Luke chapter 2? At this time of Christmas. And what do the angels say in Luke chapter 2? We, we say it every year. We sing it every year. We talk about it every year. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace. On, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I mean we sing that. We read that. We believe that. And so I sat here a few months ago. And I'm standing here today. And I'm thinking, man, at one point you're bringing peace, Jesus. At another point, you're not bringing peace. What is going on? What one thing is true. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus was not lying. Jesus makes no bones about it. He says, there is no mistake. I did not come to bring peace to the earth. Now you have to understand something. The peace that is mentioned in Luke chapter 2 and the peace that is mentioned in Matthew chapter 10 are two different kinds of peace. And this is where the confusion happens. The peace that is mentioned in Matthew chapter 10 is a peace between human beings. It's a, it's a tranquility between human beings. Jesus is simply saying, he's saying, listen, I didn't come to bring peace in that way. I didn't come to offer you a trouble-free, a worry-free, as the message says, a cozy life. That's what Jesus didn't offer. And the reason why we know that is because the word peace that is used in Matthew chapter 10 is different from the word that is used in Luke chapter 2. Actually, the peace that Matthew uses is only used twice in his entire gospel, and it's used two times in Matthew chapter 10. It's a very unique and very centered word. Jesus is making the point here that, listen, if you thought that I came to bring peace to the earth, you misunderstood me. The peace that I came to bring is a peace between a holy God and sinful people. We call this reconciliation, that Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to God, that we're sinners, we're captured in sin, we're born in sin, we're so sinful God is holy and just and righteous, and Jesus Christ came to make a way that a holy God and a sinful people could be reunited. That is the peace that Jesus Christ offers. That is the peace that he brings. Now listen, there will be peace on earth one day. 
One day there will be peace between people groups, between nations. All throughout Scripture, that peace is talked about. One of the clearest definitions of this is found in Isaiah chapter 2, where the prophet Isaiah predicts of this day. He says this, God will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords, hear this, into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So when will peace come? Peace will come when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and he begins to judge and he begins to settle disputes. We call this the second coming of Christ. It's called the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 5, excuse me. It's where the Apostle Paul describes for us this judgment seat where God will come and judge. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will appear and be judged. You will stand there before Christ himself. And Paul writes this, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Until then, Paul writes, we know what it is to fear the Lord and we try to persuade others. What are we trying to persuade people of? You know what I'm trying to persuade people of? That Jesus Christ didn't come to judge the earth, that he came to save. That Jesus Christ is our savior. And aren't we thankful that Jesus Christ didn't show up as a soldier with a sword or a judge with a gavel? We're thankful that Jesus Christ showed up in the form of a baby. And he came to give peace between a holy God and sinful people. And actually, Scripture doesn't dispute this. John chapter 12, Jesus actually said this. He said, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John 3, 16 and 17. You probably learned it as a little child. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus Christ did not come to judge in his first coming, but his second coming he will. And he will make all things that are wrong right, and he hold us all accountable. And so let's get really practical. What do you do this week when your friends look at you and they say, you follow that guy, Jesus. Why doesn't he do anything about what's going on in Ukraine? He's so loving and so powerful. You talk about it so much. You go to church and worship him. If he was so loving and so powerful, why doesn't he do something? What would you say to them? I think three things. One, I would say I think God is doing something. I think God does care about the people in Europe and the people in Ukraine. And I think he is at work. I think secondly, you have to openly admit that this is atrocious. What is happening? It's a horrible situation. But thirdly, and I pray that the Holy Spirit gives you the words to say this, somehow you have to look your friend or your family member in the eyes and you have to say, aren't you grateful that Jesus didn't come to judge the earth? 
Because listen, if he came to judge us, he'd wipe us all out. None of us would survive. No, Jesus Christ came not to bring peace to the earth, but he came to save. He came to save. Now, there is a second part of Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. The second part is sometimes the most confusing, by the way. It's where Jesus says this, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's the difficult part, I think. See, you thought the first part was hard. That was easy to explain. But the second part, like he literally uses the word sword. Jesus, were you really holding a sword as you said this? Did you, did you actually carry a sword around? I mean, I had a picture of a long-haired, kind of roby kind of guy. Now I'm picturing a guy with a giant sword. Should I have a sword as a pastor? I mean, all these kinds of thoughts came through. Jesus makes this point. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now listen, some people have used this verse throughout history to argue violence towards non-believers. Some people have used this verse to wage wars, conflicts. I appreciate what scholar and author Leon Morris points out here. He says, listen, when Jesus looks, when, when you look at the life of Jesus, he never advocated violence. Listen, church, the, the gospel will not expand through violence, right? Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of God. That's how the gospel goes forward. The gospel goes forward when people get saved. But Jesus in his life never advocated violence. Don't just look at this one verse and ignore his entire life, right? Jesus is the one who preached in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers for they were called what? Children of God. You want to be a children, child of God? You want to reflect the nature of God? God is a peacemaking God. Jesus, even as he was standing before soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember this story? He's standing with soldiers, his disciples are behind him. Peter gets himself all worked up emotionally. He's got a sword. He tries to use it, whacks off a guy's ear because he was a fisherman, not a fighter, and couldn't aim worth a lick. I mean, it's just almost hilarious. Like, what are you doing carrying a sword, right? It'd be like me trying to hit a baseball. It's not going to happen. Just going to miss. Peter misses, hits the guy's ear. Jesus picks up the ear off the ground. This is the gross part you don't tell your kids. Puts the ear back on the guy. There's a miracle right there. Turns to Peter and he says what? Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. I think the disciples heard that message very clearly. Because in Ephesians, what do they go out after Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the, from the dead, and then ascends into heaven, and he says, I'm going to come back a second time and go forward with this message. They go forward with the message. You know what the disciples end up calling their message? They call it in Ephesians a gospel of peace. In Corinthians, they refer to it as the message of reconciliation, that they saw themselves not as soldiers. They saw themselves as what? People that were trying to bring a holy God and sinful people into harmony, into a relationship. And you know what happens when people get saved? They get along. Or at least they should. There should be peace between us. 
When you've come to accept the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God resides in you, and your neighbor does the same thing, you guys should learn to live together. And we see this laid out in Matthew chapter 10, by the way. I don't want to bore you with some of the details, but this entire chapter is Jesus commissioning his disciples to go out and preach the gospel. The whole chapter, this is a giant sermon that Jesus preaches to them before they go out and they tell their people about the kingdom of God. In the very beginning of this sermon, Jesus actually announces who his 12 disciples will be in Matthew chapter 10. And it just two of the disciples kind of stands out a little bit in verses 3 and 4. Actually, their names come with titles. In verse 3, we read that one of the 12 was Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. And in verse 4, there's another guy named Matthew the Tax Collector. By their very titles, they should not have gotten along. Zealots and tax collectors hated each other. And so why would Jesus put them on the same team? Right? You don't put Cowboys fans and Eagles fans in the same bus. Why would you send zealots and tax collectors on the same gospel mission? Are you out of your mind? No. Because when the zealot gets saved and the tax collector gets saved, what happens? They lay down their cultural ideologies and their political viewpoints, and they follow Jesus. That's his point. His point is, when you have peace with God, you can be a peacemaker with other people. And so what is Jesus' point, though, with this word sword? That's the confusing part. Why would you use sword? Listen, sword is a metaphor here. It's not meant to be taken literal. It's used as a dividing piece. It's what swords do. It's what knives do. They cut through things. They separate things. Actually, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 12, Luke recounts the same kind of story, and he doesn't use the word sword. He actually uses the word division. Luke chapter 12, verse 51, he says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but division. I appreciate what F.F. Bruce says in his book, Hard Sayings of Jesus. If you want to read a good book, this is a great book. It covers all the hard sayings of Jesus. This is what he says about this verse. When Jesus said that he had come to bring not peace, but a sword, he meant that this would be the effect of his coming, not that it was his purpose. You see, his purpose was not to bring division. His effect, though, would be division. Some would believe, and some will not believe. When the gospel enters into your life, some of your family members believe, some don't. When the gospel enters into your friend groups, what happens? Some of them follow Jesus, and some don't. The gospel separates. It divides. It's like a sword splitting through. And so Jesus makes the point. Be prepared. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, one of the effects of following Jesus is that people may cut you out of their lives. And one of the worst separations that can happen is when families are split up because someone decides to follow Jesus and the others don't. And Jesus makes this point in verses 35 and 36. Look at the word of God. 
Right after he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, he writes, he says this, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies. Look at verse 36. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. In the context, Jesus is talking about what our families do when they don't want us to follow Jesus. They will separate from us. So then how should we live with them? What should we do when we no longer want to follow their ambitions, their dreams, their desires for our life, and we pick up the dreams and desires that Jesus wants for our life? How do we live with them? What should we do? Number one, three things. Number one, I think we should remember Jesus in that moment. Remember Jesus. You see, because I don't think Jesus is talking here in general terms. I think Jesus personally experienced what happens when family separates because of the gospel. Because if you read John chapter 7, you know what it tells us? John chapter 7, verse 5, it says his own brothers did not believe him. Could you imagine that? Jesus had four brothers. None of them believed him. And in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 3, if you kind of just do a survey of the gospels, Mark chapter 3, matter of fact, his brothers show up, his family shows up when he's teaching and preaching one time. They try to get him, and this is what it says in verse 21. They, they tried to grab him because they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was nuts. They thought he was crazy. You ever had family members tell you, I think you're crazy? I think you're wasting your life following this Jesus? What are you doing? Have you lost your God-given mind? You say, no, I picked up my God-given mind. Following Jesus. Jesus experienced this personally, and not just within his own family circle, but within his relatives. Remember, in this culture, the community he lived in, most of that community was, was your family. They were your relatives. Jesus goes back to his hometown in Matthew chapter 13. You want to know what happens? Listen to this. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogues, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? If you want to know what Jesus' brothers' names were, there they are. Aren't all his sisters with us? He had sisters. Where did this man get all these things? And hear this. And they took offense at him. Not only rejected by his own family, rejected by his own community. So it should be no surprise in verse 36 when Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. It is often our families who will reject us Because we follow Jesus Christ, because we decide that, listen, I'm not going to take that scholarship that was offered. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm not going to keep family heirlooms, okay? I'm going to sell them, and I'm going to give the money to people that are in need. Listen, I'm not going to stay here locally. Sorry. We've decided as a family we're moving to unreach people groups, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're going to run our business the way that Jesus Christ can be most honored and glorified. And so I'm sorry if you don't appreciate our business strategy. Listen, this is what happens when Jesus Christ comes in. 
It divides families. It separates families. But remember that Jesus went through the same kind of situation, the same kind of tension. So number one, remember Jesus. Number two, watch your attitude. Watch your attitude. A bad attitude is a bad choice. A bad attitude is a bad choice. Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 10 to love him first and foremost, but he does not call us to not love our families. Look what he says in verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus says your first priority should be me, but that's not an excuse not to love people. That's not an excuse to treat people poorly. That's not an excuse to misuse people and to abuse them. No, listen, you've been called to love them. And let let me just remind you this morning what love actually is. It's an action. It's an attitude. It's a disposition that we have. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You're just making noise, Paul says. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move a mountain but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all possessions to the poor and Give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love. I gain nothing. Paul says you are nothing and you gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So how's your attitude towards your non-believing family members? Have you been very loving to them? Are you kind? Are you patient with them? What about this? Are you still talking about what they did to you three years ago? Are you keeping those records of wrong? Do you delight when something bad happens to them? Or do you pray for them? Knowing that the gospel has separated you from them Do you bend your knee and do you pray for their salvation? Do you pray for peace to come into their life? Do you pray that they would succeed in their endeavors? Do you try to live at peace with them? Knowing what it's like to have a wrathful God who is against sin, who is against me, but because Jesus Christ came into my life, now God is happy with me, he's pleased with me. You understand what that's like. Do you try to live at peace with other people? Number one, remember Jesus. Number two, watch your attitude. But number three, count the cost. Count the cost. There will be a cost to following Jesus Christ. 
Jim Denson, who is a Texas pastor, was working as a missionary in East Malaysia. In a particular church, in a particular village, they decided that they would share the gospel and that they would invite people one day to be baptized. So one day they had these baptismal services and Denson, as he tells the story, says that after they had baptized several of the people, he looked over on the wall and he saw just luggage sitting across the wall. He was curious about what the luggage was for, so he went to the pastor of the church. He said, who in the world's luggage is that? The pastor pointed to a little girl that had just been baptized. And then he said this. He said, her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she should never go home again. So she brought her luggage. Count the cost. If you're going to follow Jesus, count the cost. You may lose friends. You may lose jobs. You may lose bids on jobs. You may lose social status. Listen, but you also may lose your family. And Jesus gives us this warning here in Matthew chapter 10. Are you willing to give up even those you love the most in this world to follow Jesus Christ? It's a challenge. It's a warning. It's hard And it's a hard saying to live out. But Jesus says this in verses 38 and 39, and I draw your attention to the word of God. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And so all too often, many of us, we want to come to Christ, but we don't count the cost. And then sometime later, we start thinking about this. Oh, man, if I profess that I'm a born-againer, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, my mom and dad are going to freak out. And if I really tell them how I really feel, man, they're really going to be angry with me. My kids are going to just freak. They can't, like one point I was yelling at Christians, and now I'm going to be one. My business partners might separate from me. I mean, they, you start counting the cost. And some people go, you know what? The cost is too heavy. I can't profess Christ. You know, I can be like a closet Christian, but I can't actually be a Christian. That's how some people think. That's how some people live. The cost weighs them down. You know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33? Just if you look there really quickly, this is what he says. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge them before my Father. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father who is in heaven. Listen, one day, one day you're going to die. And you're going to stand before the judge of judges. And let me tell you, you want him to say he knows you. You want him to look at you and say you are a good and faithful servant. And that he warmly embraces you. You want that. So count the cost, though. Because let me tell you something. What your friends think and what your family thinks and what those business partners might think, listen, let me tell you, it has no comparison to when you stand on the other side of time in this thing called eternity and you have to face a holy God. Count the cost. Because Jesus says those who lose their life for my sake will what? They will find life. That is the promise of Scripture, that if you bring your luggage and you say, you know what, I'm all in, 
You will find life in Jesus. But it won't be comfy. It may not be cozy. But let me tell you something. It'll be worth it. So what do you do when your family is not pleased with you? You pick up your cross. And you carry it. Thomas Boston said this. God only has one son without sin, but no son without a cross. God only has one son without sin, but no son without a cross. Remember Jesus. Watch your attitude. Count the cost. You know, it's interesting that Ukraine of all places in the former Soviet Union, was called the Bible Belt. Lancaster County is often referred to as the Bible Belt. Many of us have families that have been following Jesus for centuries. We can go all the way back to Hans Herr. Some of us have had grandparents, great-grandparents that have faithfully followed the Lord. Some of us, when you went home and told your mom and dad that you were a Christian or your mom and dad led you to Christ, they celebrated with tears down their face and they cheered you on. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39 is not a reality for you. I would encourage you to do this. If that is not a reality for you, I would encourage you this week to thank God. To get to your knees and say, God, thank you for my grandparents. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Lord. Because this is not my reality. But for those of you that have counted the cost and you're living this out, know that God is with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Father, that you are a great God, you're a gracious God. Lord, that you give us the ability to endure through hard times, that you give us the ability to strive and to press on even in the midst of hardship. Father, I thank you that you are with us, that you have not abandoned us, you have not forsaken us, that, Lord, your word is active and it's sharp and it convicts us, even if we've been playing a soft kind of Christianity, Lord, that you would call us more towards Jesus. And for those of us that have passionately been pursuing Christ and our families have maybe shunned us or cut us off or disowned us, I pray, Father, that we would find ways to make peace with them and that you would help us to be merciful toward them. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.